everyone doing? If you're not awake after what you've already seen God do, I don't know if we can help you, right? I mean, what a glorious picture of God's goodness. If you're proud of those who are baptized today, if you just celebrate right now. What a beautiful picture of Jesus changing lives. Uh, If you don't know who I am, my name is Josh Burnham, lead pastor here at Bethel. And we're excited to see God move. That's what we want to do. We're we're here to see the whole gospel transform the whole person and transform the whole world. And, And that's what we are about. And you've seen, you've had a taste today of what God is already doing in our church uh, we have some people watching online, and so I want to say welcome. I know some are traveling, some are sick, and hopefully we'll see you next week um, for the glory of Christ. And for our guest, welcome. I know we have guests here today because we have people sitting on the front row. They don't know better, right? So um, it's good to have you guys here. Um, I know many have come for these baptisms, and bless you. Thank you for joining us today. I want to begin with an old, old story It goes back thousands of years ago, and you've probably heard this before. One day, a baby bird fell out of his mother's nest. This bird could not fly, but he could walk. So this newborn bird began to search for his mother. First, he walked up to a kitten and asked, Are you my mother? The kitten said, No, I'm a kitten. I'm not your mother. So the bird continued. He next encountered a hen with the same question. Are you my mother? No, I'm a hen. He next walked up to a dog. Same question. Are you my mother? And then a cow, a boat, a plane. And finally, he encountered a big thing he called snort. And he asked snort, are you my mother? And as you can imply by the name, snort only snorted. Eventually, though, this crane carried the baby bird up and up and up until it finally placed him in his nest. And to the surprise of the baby bird, he looked up and in this nest, he saw his mother and he asked the same question and said this. He said, you are not a kitten. You are not a hen. You are not a dog. You are not a boat, you are not a plane, and you are not snort. You are a bird, and you are my mother. Some of you remember reading that story growing up, don't you? I believe this perfectly paints the picture for the Word of God today. Because the reality of this book, and the reason some of you are crying right now, because you're thinking, I read that to my child. We are all on the search. I can relate to this book because I was the one searching for something that was, it was deeper than anything else I could find. The reality is we're not looking for our mother. We are searching for our eternal father. And with that, we're going to continue a message through the book of Acts. And simply today, the big question is, what are you searching for? What are you searching for? Let's read in Acts chapter 14, if you have your Bibles with you. In the New Testament, Matthew Mark, Luke, John, and the Acts, right after the Gospels. This is a story of what God is continuing to do in the life of his people. Acts chapter 14. 
What are you searching for today? What are you searching for? Acts 14, 14. And we're going to read the word of the Lord. If it's your first time here, or if you were not here the last several weeks, um, I will give you the background story after we read. So if you feel lost, just hold with us. I promise to catch you up. Acts 14, 14, the apostle Barnabas and Paul tore their robes when they heard this. And they rushed into the crowd shouting, People, why are you doing these things? We are people also just like you, and we are proclaiming good news to you that you would turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to go their own way, although he did not leave himself without a witness, since he did what is good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and filling you with food and your hearts with joy. Even though they said these things, they barely stopped the crowds from sacrificing to them. Verse 19, some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. And when they won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, thinking he was dead. After the disciples gathered around him, he got up, went into the town. The next day he left with Barnabas for Derby. And then the final verse, verse 21 After they had preached the gospel in that town and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith. Let's pray. Father, we have no hope of understanding the inspired word of an infinite God unless the spirit of a holy God gives us the power and the understanding. So Lord, we ask right now that you would illuminate our minds, that you would open our eyes, you would open our hands to serve you. Not to sit idly listening, but that we would participate in the story of Christ. Lord, the same story that for these six individuals today, your story has now become their story. We pray that the story of the gospel, of God working in the world that he created through the people who were created in his image would work through us today. So Father, we desperately want to hear from you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. What are you searching for? I believe that you and I were fundamentally created to search for something more. And it's in this search that we find that it's the imago day that God has put in all of our lives that cries out, there's more, there's more, there's more. It's not the hen. It's not the dog. It's not the boat. It's not the plane. And as we're going to see in our lives, it's not the relationship. It's not the career. It's not the bank account. It's not the retirement. There's something more. And God has designed us to search for him through the spirit that he has put within every single one of us. And if you're here today and you have your arms crossed and you say, well, pastor, I don't care about God. I'm here because so-and-so dragged me. I don't even believe there is a God. That's okay. But he created you and he has put his image inside of you. 
and you are here today because he has ordained you to be here today to hear that there is a God who loves you and has called you to experience his love. God is drawing you to himself right now. And if that makes you more angry, I pray that the Holy Spirit would break that anger and bring you to a place where you can run to the throne of Christ. Because we are searching for more. And this search is not new. This search has happened for thousands and thousands of years. As we read from the book of Acts, this is 2,000 years ago. And these people are searching for something. So let's look for what they're searching for. And then I hope to bring to light things that we search for and find that are foolishness. You know, I believe there's nothing new under the sun. So there's a lot today that we can relate to. Look at verse 14. First point, folks will never bring you fulfillment. The apostles Barnabas and Paul tore their robes when they heard this. Now the astute worshiper this morning should automatically say, what is this? They heard something and they ripped their clothes. What have they heard? So let's back up really quick. Verse 11, when the crowds had seen God working out through Barnabas and Paul, they rushed to them and they said this. They called Barnabas Zeus and they called Paul Hermes. Now, why would they call these people these things? Well, Zeus was the most widely worshipped God in the Phrygian, the Galatian territory. So these people are looking at Barnabas and saying, wow, you must be like God. You're a demigod. Let's call you Zeus. And to Paul, they said, well, you must be, you're the one who speaks with eloquence. So obviously you're the messenger of Zeus and the messenger of Zeus is Hermes. And then they call the priest and said, hey, you're the priest of Zeus. Zeus is here. Go bring the sacrifices to sacrifice to these people. And you say, well, we're, we're obviously more sophisticated than these people. We would never call someone Zeus or Hermes. We, we, we read about that in literature class. We know that this is Greek mythology, but we still struggle with hero worship. And before we dismiss them as primitive and outdated, I want you to understand that there was an ancient legend during this time that Zeus and Hermes had visited the Phrygian hill country disguised as ordinary men. And as the story goes in this ancient context, that Zeus and Hermes visited over a thousand homes and were turned away. And then they knocked on the door of an older couple and they were invited with hospitality. And after spending time there and finding a hospitable situation, Zeus and Hermes turned this house into a temple and honored them and cherished them. And so the people know this story and they're thinking, hey, we can have a temple. And I don't wanna be the guy who missed Zeus again. And all of this is happening and they are rushing to Barnabas and Paul and they swarm them because they're looking for something more. The people of Lystra suffer from what we suffer with, hero worship. Let's elevate someone who has a unique gift to a status of a demigod or a god, rock star, and we do that, don't we? Maybe, maybe you watch YouTube or your children watch YouTube and, and they are fascinated. Our kids sometimes will, will send, if we let them, they'll spend hours watching people play with toys. 
on YouTube. Like you, you have that toy in your room. Go play with it. Hey, why are you watching some person play with a toy that you have teaching you how to play with it? And what we found even with our children, sometimes these people have an elevated status in their life. They, be, they become um, worshipful people if we're not careful. And you say, well, of course I would. I, I'm not three. I don't play with toys. I would not do that. But what would happen if your favorite sports star walked in here today and said, hey guys, I'm, I just want you to know, I'm looking for a seat. Anyone have a seat? Right here, right here. Coach, right here, you can sit. Wife, move, right? Coach, right here. <laughs> Don't we do that? Do we, do we not find our fulfillment in people and in the very place that they're looking for relationships is the very place that we look for relationships. And, and maybe you're not worshiping someone in your life in that way. Now, worship is simply elevating someone above everything else. But maybe you think like this. Maybe you say in your mind, if I could just be like, if I just had a process like Coach Saban, that everything would be awesome. If I just had the eloquence of this speaker, if I could just throw a football like, if I could run with the speed of, if I could sell like so-and-so at my work, if I could just have this relationship like so-and-so, if I could have this wedding like I saw on TV, then I would be fulfilled. Zeus and Hermes will always let you down. Folks will never bring you fulfillment. And this is a search that we have continued for thousands and thousands of years. And I was reminded recently that comparison is the thief of joy in our lives. Comparison is the thief of joy. Oh, would God make us content with what we have? And how often do we elevate others into these relational demigods also. So maybe you're not longing for the gifts of someone, but maybe you're just thinking, if I had a boyfriend that would love me like I need to be loved, then I would be happy. Or if I had a girlfriend that I just, Lord, I, I'm lonely, and God, if you would bring this person into my life, then I would have everything I needed. Or a spouse, let me just lovingly tell you, and my spouse is here, so she can, she can validate this after the service. If you're looking for someone in this world to bring you peace and contentment, there is no person, there is no spouse, there is no boyfriend or girlfriend that can fill the hole that only God can fill. There, there's no one, and, and it's not fair. If, if you're expecting your spouse to be God, that's not fair for them because they were never created to be that for you. You're on a search for your heavenly father. Oh, that we would find fulfillment in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Yes, we are longing for relationships. And His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus Christ. And we see what's going on here. These two missionaries serve as, I believe, this, this archetype for how we are to handle praise. So maybe you're not struggling in a relationship or to seek and find a relationship. Maybe you're not longing and, and comparing yourselves to others and, and seeking these gifts or these amazing talents. If I could just speak like Paul or if I could have the power of Barnabas. But maybe you're in a really good place and people are constantly praising you. Well, how do you handle that? What do you do when others look at you and say, hey, Zeus, hey, Hermes. Now, before, before I, I move on, 
even if people think you're a rock star, let's be honest, they've never thought you were God. They never thought you were Zeus or Hermes. But how do we deflect praise in a way that gives God the glory and the honor? Look at what Paul and Barnabas do here. The apostle Barnabas and Paul tore their robes. Now, if we're honest, at this point, it would have been really easy to say, behold, your Zeus is here. I mean, because they would have had the, the city. They would have had anything that they wanted. And before we, we dismiss this as ancient lore, if we're honest, when people come to us and, and want us to give us the world because of what they've seen God doing in us, it's sometimes easy to accept the credit, isn't it? It's sometimes easy to say, hey, Hermes has arrived. But what do Paul and Barnabas do? They say in verse 15, people, why are you doing these things? Now, here's why they're saying this. They're speaking in, Paul and Barnabas are not speaking the same language as the people from Lystra. The people from Lystra are speaking in Lystran language. I don't know what that is, but whatever it might be. So they're looking at the Acts and they're saying, wait, hey, what, what's going on? Cow, priest, this is a party. And then they start rushing them and say, like, oh, this is not going good. And I'm sure Paul and Barnabas are looking at each other thinking, are you Zeus or am I Zeus? How are we going to figure this out? But look what they do because the Holy Spirit has filled them in verse 15. They said, people, why? Why are you doing these things? We are people just like you. Yeah, I find worldly acclaim is a lot like snort. You know what snort does when you talk to him? He snorts hot air. And I've found in my life, if we're not careful, if we live for the applause of men, you will die by their criticism. When we live for the applause of men, when, when we live our life saying, if people would just notice me, I, I don't even want to be Zeus. I, I'll just be like Nike or another guy. I, I don't care. If I would just be something in someone's eye, if they would look at me and applause, then I would have everything I need. Then I would be fulfilled. When that happens, and then they begin to criticize you, it will destroy your soul. It will destroy your soul. John Piper says this about the praise of man. He says, craving human praise is a cistern that cannot hold water. And let this be a caution to us as we long for the praise of others. And we all fall into that, don't we? We all, in times of our life, it's nice when people recognize what we're doing. And I'm not saying that's sinful or ungodly. It's okay for others to recognize your work ethic, to recognize God working in you. But it's not okay for us to, to take what God has done through us and take it as, this, as, it, as if it is our power. It's one thing to say, wow, look at God working. It's another thing to say, look at me. Because what happens in verse 19? So if you're here today wanting the praise of men, look at verse 19. Some Jews come from Antioch in Iconium, and when they won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, thinking he was dead. So in 15 verses, we go from the applause of men, hail Zeus, hail Hermes, let's kill the calf, let's have the parade, look how awesome these men are. Five verses later, let's kill him. 
And for our young people, I need to clarify this contextually. Stoned has a completely different meaning in the Bible. It means that they had stones that they were thrown at them to kill them. Be careful when we seek the appraise of men because in five verses, Paul went from being the celebrity to being on his death. Folks will never bring fulfillment. And so yet the search continues. The search continues. So Paul now preaches. He has a chance. The people are rushing towards him. And Paul now has a chance to preach this beautiful revival message. And what we have here is not the entire message. It's the summary. Now, some of you are thinking, well, pastor, why don't you just give us your summary right now? That's not how it works. Here's a summary of this great revival message. Look in verse 15. People, why are you doing these things? We are people also just like you. And we are proclaiming good news to you that you turn from worthless idols to the living God who made heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in it. In these past generations, he has allowed the nations to go their own way, although he did not leave himself without a witness. What a great message. Paul addresses their need. He addresses their sinful condition. He addresses the search that they're looking for. He says, look, you're searching for something and you're, you're trying to search for a demigod or you're trying to find someone to fill this void in your life, but it's not us. It's Jesus. It's the one true God who has given you a witness. And Paul's revival message was not turn and burn. What was Paul's message? It was turn and live. Turn and find abundant life. Find the one who is not worthless, but worthy. You see, the gospel message mandates that we change our orientation from vain and dead idols to the one who lives that we change our orientation when we find abundant life. You see, the gospel is about new life. That's why we began the service, which is a beautiful picture of new life in Jesus Christ. You have been buried with him in baptism and you are raised in newness of life, Romans 6 verse 4 says. And if you've never done that and you have found that Jesus is what you're looking for, God calls you to be obedient to show the world that he is yours and that you are his. And I just want you to know, if you're a Christ follower, he is not ashamed of you. And so don't let others tell you to be ashamed of him. So we ask you to be faithful to the God who loves you and wants you to live out in this new abundant life. Think about these beautiful pictures of what Paul is saying with this good news. And I want you to, for a moment, to think about how the gospel describes New life in Jesus. John 3, teacher, what, what, what must we do to be saved? Nicodemus, you must be born again. In John 3, the same story, we, we forget often that Nicodemus comes to Jesus. Most of your translation says at night, but the Greek says that he came to him in darkness. Why? Because when you come to Jesus Christ and find that he is the way, you go from being in darkness to light. We had this beautiful picture of those who were lost are now found. We have this beautiful gospel picture of of adoption in Christ. I'll never forget counseling with one of our young women here that has been adopted. 
And I began to share how Jesus adopts us by his love into this new family. And she looked at me with tears in her eyes. She said, that's my story. And I said, it is your story. That this adoption, these new parents who have come into your life is the beautiful picture of how God adopts us into his family. That's the power of Christ. That's what happens when we find abundant life. This new family We have the picture of redemption, of Jesus purchasing us back into something that that we have never experienced before. And so why is this such good news? Why does God call us to find abundant life? Why is this such a powerful, beautiful story for us? Look at verse 15. People, why are you doing these things? We are people just like you and we are proclaiming good news to you that you turn from these worthless things idols. Paul says, guys, you're you're searching for vain things. You're feeding the fire. And you know what fire does? It just burns up what you've put in. And so the more you put into the fire, the more the fire rages. And Paul says, it's no good. Quit wearing yourself out just to find at the end that it's useless, that it's worthless. And that is good news. The word literally means emptiness or vanity. You know, I was the kid who grew up in church and I'll never forget the day that I realized for the first time that I did not know Jesus Christ. And I I remember I was sitting in the back, I was sitting not at this church, but I was sitting back there. And I remember the Holy Spirit opening up my heart and saying, Josh, you can play the church game, but if you don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, it's emptiness. It's vanity. And in the very moment that God spoke to my heart, I was devastated. But in the very moment God spoke those difficult truths to my life, he also said, but Josh, there's another way. There's a way that's not worthless. There's a way that brings hope. There's a way that you can find new life and his name is Jesus. And I'm not calling you to know about him. I'm not calling you to give lip service to him. I'm not calling you to join the church. Josh, I'm calling you to accept my son as your Lord and Savior. And when you do, you will find new life and you will be, you will be worth everything that he says you are worth. And the day that happened was the day my life changed. And God said, Josh, you don't have to live with emptiness. You can have a life that is full and abundant. Praise God for that good news. Christopher Wright says that The worst thing about idols in our lives, as the Hebrew scriptures so tirelessly point out, is that they are utterly useless when you need them the most. Anyone been there? The things that you think have propped you up when you need them the most, they're utterly worthless. That's why the good news is good news. So how do we find this abundant life? Paul tells us, people, why are you doing these things? We are people just like you. And we proclaim good news that you turn from worthless things to the living God, new life, 